We're getting close to the end of a, a series called The Believer's Family. And uh, in fact, this morning is going to be the last challenge from uh, couples in regards, to, in regards to marriage. And we've been working off of this one passage, going through all the words um, and try to understand these, these words because there's so much information um, in this passage alone. And, and if you look at the passage, um, Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, you'll see some bold areas in, 30, um, in verse chapter in verse 31, and that is where we'll be focusing um, on um, this morning, and we'll be focusing on the two subjects, which would be be united, and then also the concept of one flesh, but the reason why I put the whole passage there is because we want to get an understanding of what Paul is doing as he's writing this passage. The passage that we are focusing on is a passage from Genesis chapter 2, and uh, Paul put it in to summarize everything he said above. And that is what's taking place in this passage. So let's read the entire passage and we'll focus on 31. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, like Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is a savior. Now as a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So looking at the two words, united, and then you also see in parentheses, cleave, and that's the the old King James, and, and we're working off of this Hebrew word to understand what does cleave mean? What does, what does united mean? What does that word mean? Because it will give us an understanding of what one flesh is if we can understand what that word means. Number one, cleave means glued, bound, fastened together. Glued, bound, fastened together means that if you pull them apart, you're going to break it. It's going to hurt. It's going to be destroyed. In fact, you never even think about gluing anything until you know that it's going to be pretty much permanent. Because once it's glued, the separation is not going to be easy. And the challenge here in this passage is that man and women are going to be glued together. Husband and wives will be glued together in this process. So if that's what glued means, the one flesh means two people bound, glued, fastened together, and then if you start to split them apart, destruction will take place. Now remember, um, I mentioned earlier when we first started this series that God created three different institutions, and the three institutions is the church, the government, and then also he created the institution of marriage um, as well. Now if if God is going to create an institution, he can do whatever he wants because it's coming from his mind, his thoughts. It's coming from his desires, and, and he puts it into us as we are being bound together. See, marriage does not arise from 
the human spectrum. It actually is settled into the human spectrum because we are created to be one flesh. We're created to be one flesh. What does that mean? Bound, glued, fastened together. And all of a sudden, if we get into the concept of marriage, what takes place? You're automatically glued, bound, fastened together. Things are happening to us that we don't even know what is happening to us. But what is it? Glued, bound, fastened together. What does that look like? If you can give an explanation of what that looks like, ask the question, what does that look like? We're going to go all the way through the next five notes, explain what glued, bound, fastened together, which equals one flesh, looks like. Number three, bound, glued, fastened legally. That's exactly what one flesh looks like. Quite a few years ago, I was working on my laundry room, and I put a cabinets in, and, and I wanted to have a rough look, so I just thought, you know, I'm just going to buy some boards that look really, really rough, and then what I was going to do is I was going to tack the boards onto the top of the, the, the counter and um, on top of the particle boards. So sure enough, I started, and then I'd just nail it right to the top and put it in. And, and as I did one board and then two boards, I'm like, you know what, that's not strong enough because it's kind of a little loose. So what I'll do is I'm going to pop them out, and then I'll put glue down there. And so I, sure enough, pulled those out, pulled the nails out, put glue down, and then I put the boards down, and then I started tacking and nailing. And I did that all day. And then I woke up in the morning, and I said, you know what's wrong? <laughs> I, I made a mistake. The boards are off, and they're not going to end up in the right direction. So what I'll do is I'll just have to pull these boards up again and, um, and then just do it all over again. Well, as soon as I started getting the pry bar to stick those underneath the wood, I started to pull. They would not come up. The glue molded into the particle board, and the only way that I could pull them up is to shred the top boards. And I think I was actually standing up there on top of the counter as I was prying it up, and it was shattering absolutely everything in regards to the boards on top and the particle boards on the bottom. My wife walks in and says, what a mess. And I think, boy, why did I glue these? Glued, fastened together, you start pulling them apart, it starts shredding, it starts ripping, it starts tearing apart because they are no longer two, they are one. Well, when we get married, uh, God built the concept that when two become one, you never want to rip them apart. You never want to rip them apart. Why? Because they will damage in the process. They will be hurt in the process. They will even look different coming out of the process. Therefore, we should probably get the law involved in regards to this. Because when two people come together, we go to the courts and we say, okay, we're gonna be legally married. Why are we being legally married? Because if we decide to divorce and decide to pull away, we need to get some lawyers involved. Two all of a sudden become one flesh. And the longer that they're married, the tighter they even get, and the more ugly it gets in the process of that being broken up. And then we also offer benefits and say, you know, if you do get married, we can give you some tax benefits. We could, you know, we want to keep people married in regards to this. Well, where is all this coming from? Marriage does not arise from a human spectrum. It is settled into the human spectrum, meaning that when two become one flesh, you are bound tighter than you can possibly even imagine. 
So if you're going to be bound, what should you make the base of marriage be? Marriage is commitment. And in our minds, we need to base marriage on commitment and absolutely nothing else. We live in a culture that says, you know, we don't need to base marriage on commitment. In fact, my marriage is not necessarily, you know, based on, it's based on love. It has nothing to do with, you know, commitment. It's based on love. In fact, I don't even need a piece of paper that says I'm committed to you. We'll just love each other. Is that, is that marriage? Is that God's design of being one flesh? You're, you're moving to somebody and building this one flesh, and you're doing it under the concept of love, but why are you doing it under the concept of love? The reason why you do it under the concept of love is because if love stops, you can go out. It's not commitment. It's not commitment whatsoever. I could be connected to, a, to a, another woman. I could be connected to another man. You could be connected to another man. And in that process, well, we'll just love each other, and we don't need any paper. We don't need any commitment. It's not marriage. You're moving into the one flesh for the purpose of pulling other, each other away from each other. And in that process, what are you going to do? You're destroying each other. But we know that. In fact, they're talking about marriage and saying, you know, marriage is going to be obsolete one of these days. You think marriage will be obsolete? Marriage will never be obsolete. The reason why is because God put the covenant together. And if you put the covenant together, say you're moving into one flesh, we are bound to move into that one flesh. Therefore, unbelievers, whether they believe in God or not, say, well, I'm going to get married. And they even divorce once, twice, three times, four times, five times, and they still get married afterwards because we're longing for that one flesh commitment. Not longing for the the love, but longing for that one flesh commitment because marriage is not based on love. Marriage is based on a promise. We can see that in our vows. In fact, when you stand up, anybody stands up, whether they're Christians or not, and they start saying vows, what do they say? They do not say, I come into you because I love you. I cherish you. Those are not in the vows. I feel for you. I honor you. I am so excited about you. When you are making a commitment, a public commitment in front of everybody, those aren't the words you say. What words are you saying? You're saying, I promise to love you. I promise to cherish you. I promise to be faithful to you. I promise to give myself to you as long as we both shall love. It has nothing to do with the moment. It has everything to do with the promise that has taken place. The backbone of the one flesh is that if you want it to be healthy and you want it to be good, it cannot be based on love. It has to be based on a promise to love when you don't feel, even feel like loving. That's God's design. That's God's method. One flesh is bound, glued, fastened, logistically. Now this is common sense because as soon as two people get together, there are so many different logistics. Before I was married, I made all my decisions, and uh, I didn't even think about decisions I'd made. I'd just live life and, 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 and do what I needed to do. But all of a sudden, I get married, and there's lots of logistics. I remember one logistics right after I got married is, is that, you know, we're married, we're going to sleep together. Well, what side of bed do I sleep on? What side of bed does my wife sleep on? My wife says, you know, I've always slept on the right side of the bed, and, and, um, and something happened to me where, okay, now I can't believe I'm getting in bed with this person. And it's like, I don't care if I'm sleeping on the right, and I don't care if I'm sleeping on the left. I do care if I'm closest to the door. <laughs> that, that's the side that I sleep on. 
Not the bathroom door, the, the door. And I don't know why my nature just was in that, but if somebody broke in, I don't want to have to climb over my wife to kill the person that's breaking in, I guess. But we go to a motel, I'm like, well, where's the door? I sleep on that side. And, and therefore, my wife has to make these adjustments back and forth. But there's a whole bunch of different logistics that take place when two come together. Lots of different logistics. And those logistics need to do what? They need to be discussed. Because you're no longer one person. In fact, all your decisions are in regards to making the decisions in regards to two people rather than one. It was God's design that when two came together, logistics are going to fly and you're going to have to work together. It's demanded that you work together if you want to exist together. This one flesh relationship is not two different people. It's two different people in one, and they must walk, function together, or there will be consequences as a result. Letter B is discuss roles. When we start talking about marriage counseling, when people get married, it's like, you know, you're going to have all these logistics that you're going to have to figure out. Maybe you should talk a little bit about roles. And you'll say, well, what does the Bible say about roles? You know what it does? It leaves a lot of it open. So we can literally just discuss, this is what I'll do, this is what we'll do, this is what we'll walk together, this is what's going to take place. It demands you to have conversation with the next person. And that demand to have conversation with the next person is a connection again of two becoming one, one flesh. Number five, one flesh is bound, glued, fastened, dependently. I am no longer independent. I am now dependent. I went to Africa quite a few years ago, and I was, when I first went there, I started doing the seminars, and this is not the Bible Institute, this was seminars that are taking place, and, and I would teach um, the pastors. And I'd ask the pastors, you know, what should I you know, talk about? What do you guys want to, want to hear? And, and I mentioned it about um, marriage and relationships. And they said, oh, Pastor Mike, we definitely need that. He says, our marriages are just complete, entire um, disasters. And if you look at Africa, in general, they're a male-dominated society. And what I mean by that is if you see a husband and wife walking down the street, the man's in the front, the wife's in the back, and the wife is carrying everything. And uh, he says, yeah, we're really struggling in regards to our relationship. I said, yeah, you guys really are struggling in regards to our relationship. I said, well, what do you think the problem is? And they said, oh, Mike, it's only one problem. I said, well, what's the problem? They said, our wives don't submit to us. And... And, and they explain that, you know, what do, you, what do I mean by submit? It's like, well, I come home and there's no supper. You know, I, I, when I want sex, they don't want to give it to us. And, and the respect in the home is absolutely not there. And you won't believe this, Pastor Mike, but the women in regards to Africa, they're just sleeping with everybody besides us. So we'll leave town. And you know what? They've got other boyfriends that are taking place. He says, we need our wives to submit to us, and we're asking you to come and teach them how to submit, and, and I like a good challenge. I say, all right, I'll come back next year, and I'm going to really study on this topic, and, and I'll get your wives to submit to you. And they go, oh, thank you, Pastor Mike. Now, the way that they think is that I would come back as a chief to tell our wives what they need to do, but I came with a different strategy because I knew exactly what needed to take place in, in the marriage. So we started it out. I said, you know, I've seen you guys walk down the street. You're in front, wives in the back, and they carry everything. I said, is that, is that okay? It's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I said, well, what does it look, what does it mean? Love your wife like Christ loved the church and laid his life down for her. 
Well, I wasn't doing the seminar with just the pastors. We actually brought the pastor's wives as well there. So they were planning to come to hear these words submit. But when I started out with that, the wives were starting to listen and go, whoa, is there something wrong with that? What's, what's going on? What's taking place? And then we started going on for hours in regards to husbands. I don't want to talk to the wives. Husbands, this is what you, it means for you to lay your life down like Christ laid down his life for his church. I said, you need to cherish her. You need to nourish her. You need to honor her. You need to care for her. And the wives are just sitting there. They have received no instructions. But as they're sitting there for one hour, two hours, three hours, in regards to what the husband is supposed to do for the wife, I tell you, I think the Holy Spirit just filled the room. What I mean filled the room is all of a sudden everything got a little charismatic. And it did not charismatic with the men. It got charismatic with the ladies. One of the ladies stood up and started to put her hand in the air and moved her hips back and forth and started to dance in front of her husband and say, please nurture us, please cherish us, please love us, we'll give you everything you want. And then all the ladies in the room started yelling and screaming, yes, 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 begging their husbands to just meet their needs, to just love them, to just cherish them. And I'm like, this is good church. And you know what, they're submitting because man has the power to let them respond. We went to lunch, and after lunch we came back. You can hear a needle drop in that room, and the only person who was talking was me. None of the ladies were talking. The men would just talk every once in a while. And after about an hour of this, I'm saying, what happened? Where did the spirit go? Uh, I talked to one of the persons that's in lead, Ben Margai. I said, did those husbands tell those wives to shut up? And he says, oh, Pastor Mike, be patient with them. I'm like, you're serious, aren't they? The wives were offering themselves to those men. If the men would respond by being dependent, say, I want to put you first, and they were willing to give themselves away, and they told them to shut up. And I, and I tell you, I was a little unpatient. And Pastor Ben says, you just need to be patient. You just got to come back. We've got to take it slow. We've got to take it slow. We've got to take it slow. When you become one flesh, all of a sudden, you're dependent to the point of you need to take your eyes off of yourself and you have to look through the eyes of another person. That's the dynamics of what one flesh relationship looks like, that I can no longer have my eyes centered here, but I have to take them off and I have to look at the, at the other person. But even more extreme, you have to take your eyes off yourself and you need to look through the eyes of even another gender, of another gender, in understanding on who you're married to. This is God's design. Remember, he put it into our hardware to connect us, to draw us closer, and we are starving for it. One flesh was designed by God. And remember, marriage does not rise from the human spectrum. It is built inside of us to be disconnected to individuals. That's what it means by two becoming one flesh. Number C, Two become one flesh, give to your mate what they need. It's the only way you will get what you need. God wants us to lay our lives down for the world, and He's given us a wife, and He's given us a husband to start with. And in that process of two being connected, it will empower you to lay your life down for even your enemy, or even your neighbor, and everybody else. You see how God has built it inside of us for us to change the world for the name of Christ? One flesh means bound, glued, fastened emotionally. My marriage controls my emotions more than 
I think, or possibly even more than I want. Because one flesh relationship is like a vortex. And what do I mean by a vortex? If everything around you is weak, but your marriage is strong, do you know what you do? You walk out into the world with strength. If everything around you is weak, but your marriage is strong, you will walk out in strength. The opposite occurs. If everything around you is strong, but your marriage is weak, do you know what takes place? You walk out in weakness. It's so connected to your emotions. Wherever your marriage is at is connected to where you are at even in your, in your job. If the whole world is depressed and your marriage is full of joy, do you know what's gonna take place? You'll walk out in joy. If your marriage is full of joy but your marriage is oppressed, you know what's gonna take place? You'll walk out in oppression. It's connected to our emotions. That's the way God designed it. He built it, he can do whatever he wants, and he put it literally into our system. Something that we must invest into. Why? Because it carries more power over us than we can possibly even think. Letter D, what should we do about it? Be vulnerable. Love is giving yourself away. If you look at the concept of love, which was mentioned before, it's the greatest power in the entire universe. It carries such a great power that moves you, sends you, drives you, makes you. This love word carries thing that will completely even dominate you, dominate your decisions, dominate your life. And why does this word carry so much power? Because there's a message behind the word. And the message that is behind this word, love, is what? For God so loved the world. <laughs> so much that he left heaven and he came to earth. And he lived a perfect life. And then he went to the cross in your stead. And as he went to the cross, paid the price for your sins, and then went to the grave, he died and then rose again so you can have a relationship with him, a love relationship with him, and you don't even know what love is until you have been loved in that way. And since you have been loved in that way, you can now what? You can now love anybody. Enemies. You can now love anybody. See, the way this word works in regards to love is that the only way you can be taught how to love, uh, to love is if you've been loved. In fact, if you look at a child in a crib, if you look at that child and say, I want to teach this child how to love, how are you going to do it? It starts right there. How are you going to do it? There's only one way to teach that child how to love, and that is to love. And when you love that child, inside that child, all of a sudden it's going to come out love. Now what happens if you reject that child? What happens if you do not love that child? The child will even turn into a beast. The child will turn into a rebellious animal. Until the child experiences love, the child cannot love. Love carries this, carries this power. So as he connected us, marriage, husbands and wives, together as one flesh, he has given us the point to lay down our lives across the aisle for the purpose of loving that person so that person will even know how to love you back. See, God has put this one flesh relationship to carry power. And the greatest way we can love is to do what? Be vulnerable. Give yourself away. Because the process of giving yourself away is a process that you'll be tighter and tighter and tighter glued. Or you can say, I'm not going to give myself away. In fact, I'm going to keep myself. In fact, I'm going to not share my emotions. I'm not going to share my heart. I'm not going to share with my wife. I'm not going to share with my husband. I'm just going to you know, step back away, and we're just going to work together and not be connected in regards to vulnerability. What takes place when that happens? You do not grow in love. You actually grow cold 
You actually grow hard. That's what so many people do. It's like, I'm not going to give myself away. Why? Because I need to protect myself. If I give myself away, I'm giving that person too much power, which is God's design. But as we're doing that, we're like, no, 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 I can't do that. i got to keep, and then we grow cold. C.S. Lewis has a quote, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully, round with hobbies and titles and luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock your heart up in a safe. Put it into a casket or even into a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And when that takes place, the one flesh connection gets tighter and tighter and tighter. One flesh connection is bound, glued, fastened mentally. We don't even think about this, but marriage has mental health to it. My mental health is actually being driven a lot by my marriage, and I've said this before in our series, is that your spouse has the ability to reprogram your self-appreciation. You know, what is self-appreciation when you're growing up, you're wondering if you are somebody, and you start to think, what does my parents think of me? And what does my mom think of me? What does my dad think of me? And then all of a sudden, what does my friends think of me? Do I have friends? Why don't I have friends? And all of a sudden, your self-appreciation is being developed by what is being observed. And observed by what? Observed by the people around you on whether they're giving you love or not. And then all of a sudden, you, you grow up, and you're 20, 21, 22, 23, and then all of a sudden, you start walking into a one-flesh relationship. And when you walk in this one-flesh relationship, this is the way God designed it. Your mate has a power to reprogram your past. Your mate has the power to reprogram your past. What I mean by that is spouse says that you are a smart person. Do you know what's gonna take place? You can walk out in the world thinking, you know, I, I, I actually think I'm kind of smart. In fact, your spouse has the power to make that happen. If you think that, you're, if, if your spouse says you're a beautiful person, you know what you can do? You're gonna walk out in, in beauty. These words that are, uh, connections connected to our spouse, they carry so much weight. They carry much, in fact, the whole world can say you're not. But if your spouse says that, you know, I might be thinking about it. Maybe I am. Maybe I am. When you get married, you put into the hands of your spouse to make you or break you, and it's called one flesh relationship. Make or break in regards to the words that are spoken. Now, if you look at this, it can also go backwards as well. You can say to your wife that she's absolutely beautiful. You can say to your husband that you're strong and that you build security, and they start making it in their mind. But you can also say to your husband that he's a loser. You can say to your wife that she's stupid. You can say to your wife that she's ugly. And, and then if you say these words, what's taking place? They're penetrating deep. In fact, what's happening in relationships and in marriages right now is that we're growing up with you know, brothers, sisters, Parents, cousins, we're growing up with friends, and as we're growing up with friends, you know what takes place? Arguments take place. And when arguments take place, you start saying things that you probably should not say. 
and you start throwing these things out, and, and when a friend starts to throw something out, you know, it just, it just goes past you. Then you th throw something out that's even aggressive, and it's just flying past, but all of a sudden, two become one, one flesh, and then an argument takes place in a relationship. Little do we know the power that our words have, because our words all of a sudden don't fly past us in this one flesh relationship. It actually moves right into us deeper than you can possibly imagine. But yet, we're so used to it. We're so used to getting angry and getting mad and throwing words out, but we are making or we are breaking each other. That's the design of one flesh. You're glued together, you're fastened together, and your mental health is even coming with your spouse, your relationship that is there. So what should we do? Number E, affirm. You carry more power than you think. Your words carry more power than you can possibly imagine. And that's one reason why one fleshes are just completely and entirely breaking up. Relationships are breaking up because we don't understand the power of the words that we said. But yet when God put it into our hardware, one flesh will carry power. We have to anchor ourselves to God's plan because if we don't, we'll completely destroy each other in the process. Number eight, one flesh is bound, glued, fastened spiritually. During our wedding, never forget what the pastor, the challenges that the pastor gave. He said, God, gifts, and goals. I want to give you three G's. God, gifts, and goals. God needs to be the center of your relationship. He's the one that brought you together, and he needs to be the center of everything that you do. And then he says, gift. Never forget that you are specifically a gift that God has granted to your mate. And your mate is a gift that God has given to you. Therefore, you should take care of it. And then he says goals. He said all of our relationships and all of our beings and all of our actions, they have little to do with this planet and have everything to do with eternity. Because as soon as we die, we're going right to the grave and everything that we did for God and for each other for God is going to last forever and ever. We are put together for a purpose and the purpose is God's purpose, it's not even our purpose. Letter F, what should we do? Be on a mission. You've been joined together for it, for specifically that purpose. If you take God out of the center of your marriage, where are you going? Where are you traveling? Where are you gonna end up? What are you gonna be? Number nine, one flesh relationship is bound, glued, fastened physically. <coughs> Sex is a picture of being bound emotionally, bound mentally, bound spiritually, bound legally, bound physically. That's what sex is a picture of, is that we are completely and entirely bound. And when we are bound that way and we have sex, we are celebrating being bound in all different directions, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, legally, physically. It's a celebration of the one flesh relationship. But what is the world doing? The world's saying, well, we can be bound physically, but you don't need to be bound emotionally. You don't need to be bound mentally. You don't need to be bound spiritually. You don't need to be bound in any other way. Just be bound physically, enjoy each other. It has no impact, and then completely and entirely move on. That's the thing that's destroying this world. That is the thing that is destroying this world. God has created marriage to carry such a power, an emotional power that is inside of us. And yet we are being bound 
That's what the picture of sex is. Bound physically and then bound in no other way. And in the process, people are getting cold. People are getting mad. People are getting angry. People are getting hard-hearted. People are being destroyed in this process. See, God is the one that created marriage to carry life, to, create, to carry power, to carry strength, to change the world. And we've taken the institution and we've used it and abused it and the way that we have is marriage exists to fill me up. Or the sexual relationship even exists to fill me up. And what we're doing, we're ruining people. But we're also ruining ourselves. Think about committing adultery and the Bible talks about sex pretty consistently. And the word adultery is, is, is mentioned. What happens when you commit adultery? If adultery takes place, going back to your mate gives you a conscience. So in other words, if you're sneaking out of the house and you're committing adultery, when you go back to your mate, do you know what? You have a conscience. Whether you're a believer or not, there's a conscience. And in that side of that conscience, what takes place is you start hating your mate. You start despising your mate. And all of a sudden, after you start despising your mate, you start hating your mate, you start being connected here and not here. Well, it works until you're tempted again, and then you start sleeping with somebody else. Then you start despising that person. Little do we know that we are destroying ourselves in a very ugly way. We're taking love completely out of our life because we are using love just as in the term of sex. And the result of that, what takes place, is damage. Not only here, but damage here. God's plan is the only plan that worked. And he says, Get married legally, and then when you get married legally, celebrate that one flesh physically. Letter G, celebrate your one flesh relationship. When you're celebrating your one flesh relationship, you're supposed to put it in the top of your mind. We are not only bound physically, we are bound spiritually, we are bound mentally, we're bound, we're bound emotionally, we're bound legally. We're celebrating what God has given to us. So what's taking place in that relationship? Power, strength, Security, everything God designed, desired, designed for it to be, is then being granted to you. Number 10, your one flesh relationship must be top priority. If it's not, you will rip yourself and your mate apart. Marriage does not arise from the human spectrum, it is settled into the human spectrum. And as it's settled into the human spectrum, we must obey God and his commandments because inside of those commandments he wants one thing to take place in you. You know what it is? It's life, joy, peace, strength, happiness. If you obey God's commandments, it will give you everything that you desired even as a human being and it will give everything your children desired if you love your mate like Christ loved the church. Why? Because then they will see even a picture of what love is and a picture of what God has given them. It'll give you heartache if you disobey, and it'll give you heaven if you don't. Therefore, when we walk into this one flesh, it is a serious thing. So if you're younger and you're not married yet, take it as a very serious thing. Don't, do not give yourself away until the legal papers take place. Do not give yourself away sexually until the legal papers take place. And if you're in a marriage, Give yourself away mentally. Give yourself away emotionally. 
Give yourself away spiritually. Give yourself away in every single way, sexually, every single way, because God wants you to have life. And inside this covenant commitment is where you will find a lot of life. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the gift of marriage. It, it is a gift, God, that you have granted to us for the purpose of making us strong, for the purpose of making us effective, for the purpose of, of bearing fruit for your glory. We thank you for the gift, and God, we just pray that all of us, every marriage that is represented in this room and every marriage that is gonna take place in regards to the people in this room, that we would be very, very committed to making it healthy. That we'd be very, very committed, God, to obeying your laws and obeying your rules so we can experience life and life in the fullness. Thank you for the covenant. May God, we use it for power, strength, beauty, for your kingdom to be built. In Christ's name, amen.